The Master of Arts in Spirituality at Oblate School of Theology immerses students in the deep historical and contemporary wellsprings of the Christian spiritual and mystical tradition. Courses may be taken full-time or part-time, and face-to-face or online. Learn more at ost.edu ma-spirituality. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Deli, and this week I'm joined by our usual producer, Ricardo Da Silva. Ricardo, say hi. Khalid, it's great to be with you. Yeah, welcome to this side of the microphone. Yeah, so I'll be Jerry this week, am I? Uh, Not quite, but this week we are running an interview between you and the former Canadian ambassador to the Holy See, Anne Leahy, who is a total treat to talk to, to get her perspective on especially what's been going on in Ukraine. Before we get into that interview that you conducted with her, though, let's give some updates on recent news about the Holy See in Ukraine. Pope Francis spoke at length about this with La Nación, an Argentine newspaper, and a few news items that came out of that. First of all, Pope Francis has announced that he will not be visiting Kiev, as he had hoped to do. And second, that he suspended his scheduled visit with Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill, saying that it could cause confusion. Yeah, I mean, this was a really big surprise for us, I think, last week, you know, at the end of the week when we saw this interview, because... The Pope has expressed repeatedly um, that he wants to go to Kiev. He wants to be with the people. He has also said that he wanted to be with Patriarch Kirill in Jerusalem this July. And now all of a sudden, that's all off the table, as it were. And he's just said it's going to raise the word the Pope uses in the interview with La Nación is that it would introduce too much confusion. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I think it's introduced confusion for us too. Right. And I think that it revealed a little to us about how the Holy See approaches these things. You know, confusion is often a term that's thrown around in criticisms of Pope Francis and that he's, quote, not clear enough on doctrine, for example. But this idea of confusion, I think, is that he doesn't want any of his actions to be misinterpreted. When we've been talking to Anne and when I spoke with Ambassador Hackett, who was a former ambassador from the U.S. to the Holy See, they were both saying that, you know, the importance of the Vatican's role in diplomacy is that It keeps its neutrality. The Holy See is in a really unique diplomatic position where it doesn't have economic or military interests. And because of that, it's able to maintain a neutrality. Now, that's challenged a little bit by some of the ecumenical religious aspects of this conflict. But it's important for the Vatican not to be seen as putting their finger on the scale of one country or another in a conflict where their biggest goal is achieving peace. Yeah, and especially because the Pope straddles two roles which would normally not be merged in a diplomatic relationship, right? I mean, he is both the head of state and he is the head of a major religion. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to understand that the aims of the Pope are different to the aims of any president or prime minister. Yeah, I tried to spend some time parsing the reasons that could be beneath the Pope's decision not to visit Kiev, because there are so many, his physical condition for one thing, the security concerns, and then this diplomatic kind of calculus. So I have a piece up at americamagazine.org right now that kind of digs into this. But let's talk for a second about that difficulty that Pope Francis has had getting around lately. He was scheduled to celebrate the Divine Mercy Sunday Mass this past Sunday, and much like the Easter Vigil, he decided to just attend the Mass and deliver a homily, but sitting down. Yeah, and we're recording this on Tuesday, April 26th, and today again, 
the Pope has announced that the liturgies at the Vatican have been cancelled, you know, that he won't be presiding at those liturgies, and especially that this important meeting that had been scheduled for the Council of Cardinals won't take place because he is too unwell. Right. The Council of Cardinal Advisors is the Pope's basically like cabinet. It's his it's his top advisors that he brings together. They're from all over the world. So this is a really important meeting because they don't have that many of these meetings throughout the year. The Pope also revealed a little bit of what's going on with his knee. We knew previously that it was just causing him a lot of pain. He revealed in that same interview last week with La Nación that it's actually a torn ligament in his knee, which is pretty slow to heal at his age. Yeah, so we'll just have to pay attention to that. Right, and we'll keep our listeners updated on all of that. So now to your great interview with Anne Leahy, the former Canadian ambassador to the Holy See. Can you tell us a little bit about Anne's background, Ricardo? Sure. I mean, I think we'll be here a long time if I if I read absolutely everything <laughs> that Anne has achieved. But yes, she's an economist. And in the 1990s, she served for some time as the Canadian ambassador to Russia. But also she has served as ambassador to the Holy See, mainly under Benedict the Sixteenth. Right. And then she was leaving office as ambassador just as we were turning towards the conclave that appointed Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. So she was there at that turn. And she was invited back because as she left office, the conclave was about to take place. She's certainly somebody with a unique perspective, has diplomatic relationships firsthand with both the Holy See and Russia and so many other countries, right? Right. She's worked in some very conflicted areas like the Great Lakes region in Africa. And we really wanted to talk to her for this unique perspective she has on sort of Eastern European geopolitics, particularly Russia, where she lived and worked, and also the Holy See. So she brings this this combined perspective that's that's really helpful to help us understand what's going on and how the Holy See is making decisions here. So Ricardo, you got to speak with Anne the other day. Uh, what what did she have to say? What were the big highlights for you? I think for me, probably the first thing that really rung home was this difference between the Vatican and the Holy See and how the Holy See is really the person of Pope Francis. We also spoke about how the Pope might be approaching this diplomatic dilemma that he has, especially with Russia, but with the religious relations there too, between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Right. Maybe on a final note, I think what struck me about Anne is, you know, she herself is a Catholic and she's a diplomat. And so she needs to straddle that line. And she helped me to really put myself into Pope Francis' shoes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, as somebody who has a religious conviction, but who also has a duty as a head of state. Mm -hmm. And also has a funny comment in here about some of the similarities that she and other ambassadors saw between the Holy See and Russia, in that both are a bit opaque and networking and building connections for sharing information are very, very important and require a lot of discretion. So this is a really interesting interview with somebody who brings just such a wealth of diplomatic experience and a perspective into the workings of the Holy See. So Anne joined you from Quebec. I'm sure everyone is really looking forward to hearing the conversation. So Ricardo, do you want to do the honors to end this introduction? I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. (music) 
So good morning to our Inside the Vatican listeners. This is Ricardo de Silva. I'm standing in for Colleen Dolly. Today we're joined by Anne Leahy. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you, Ricardo. I'm very honored to be invited to your show. I'm a Canadian diplomat born in Quebec City. Je suis francophone de Québec. I spent 40 years nearly in the service of the Canadian Foreign Service. I think you understand more than certainly I do and more than our listeners what the diplomatic role is with the Holy See. We speak about the Vatican and we speak about the Holy See. Can we clarify that to begin with? And is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. And I'll say right away that I, of course, am not a spokesperson for the Holy See nor the Vatican. So what I say is from the perspective of a Canadian diplomat who has observed and worked with Holy See diplomats. Basically, the difference is that the Vatican is a state, a geographical entity, which houses uh, the Holy See. And the Holy See is essentially the person of the pontiff with the curia, the support of his uh, ministries, if you want. You may have noticed when you go to Rome, for example, that on the facade of the buildings of embassies accredited to the Holy See, there are usually two coats of arms. One is the given country, and the other is the personal coat of arm of the pontiff. For example, in 2013, when there was a change from Benedict XVI to Francis, on the front the facade of our embassy, we took down the coat of arms of Pope Benedict and we replaced it with that of Pope Francis. So it's not the flag of the Vatican City State that flies. It's really the pontiff. And that, I think, is very important to remember. I really wanted to talk to you because you were both the ambassador to the Holy See and the ambassador to Russia. And so you're familiar with the Holy See and with Russia. And given the present conflict between Russia and Ukraine and the involvement of the Pope in this conflict, or at least to mediate or a hope to negotiate peace in this conflict. We thought it'd be really good to hear from you, given your experience. Could you say something about what you know about the Holy See's diplomacy with Russia and even with Ukraine? <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> it's not easy. One reason is the Supreme Pontiff wears two hats. He's the head of, uh, of state, <laughs> and he is also the successor of Peter. And in terms of the issue right now, it intersects several big areas. One is ecumenism. The other is the traditional role of mediator or bringing parties together, acting as a third party. But in this case, if you're looking at Ukraine, the Holy See is not exactly a third party. So promoting the diplomacy of always keeping lines of communication open, which I think is a feature of uh, Holy See diplomacy, taking into account what is happening on the ground right now is the uh, very delicate exercise that the Holy See finds itself in. One of the criticisms, of course, has been that Pope Francis has refused to name Putin as the aggressor in this conflict. He's said that emphatically, uh, Pope Francis has. So I'm just wondering how we are to understand that, because we live in a world that is so adept at naming and shaming, right? And I, I wonder what the logic is as a diplomat, how you read that. Well, what is there to be gained by naming and shaming something or someone that everyone knows. <laughs> mm. 
what's the gain? What's the plus? Do you really think that naming President Putin is going to shame him at this point? Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good question. It's almost just a a passionate knee jerk reaction that we we just want to say, oh, it's his fault. It's him who's responsible for this. I think it's important not to get stuck on that because what's more important is what the Pope does to show his support and his obviously his search of by any means to do something to help resolve the situation in which Ukraine, the Ukrainians, those who are stuck in Mariupol, find themselves. He is trying to look for a way to stop the war. That's important. That's yeah. the goal. Not not whether you like the Twitter feed of so-and-so and you name so-and-so. What about as part of what Pope Francis said when he said that he would suspend this meeting with Patriarch Kirill, he's set a few objectives. One of those objectives that he set was that he would like to visit both Moscow and Kiev. What do you think is the thinking there diplomatically between visiting both nations? I don't know <laughs> what was the reasoning that came with that. But right now we have the Secretary General of the UN who is doing just that, going to Kiev and to Moscow. If you look at it just very superficially, these are the two capitals of, of the two countries, or one, of course, being the aggressor. And if you want to find some ground which would allow to, to talk about a way out, you have to talk to uh, all the protagonists. But I won't speculate more than that. As ambassador to Russia in the past, I'm wondering how we are to understand President Vladimir Putin's religious convictions and the role of religion for him in terms of the national discourse and then in this conflict. I don't want to judge his conscience, but it's obvious that religion, the, the Russian Orthodox Church, the national church, is part of the Russian identity. After the break, Anne gets a little more personal and shares experiences of her time at the Vatican and in Russia. Stay with us. I wonder if maybe you can give us a few anecdotes. You know, what stays with you from being with the people in Russia? Well, they're extremely resilient, extremely resilient. And probably part of that resilience comes from understanding that there are a few, very few things that count in life. And the rest, well, it comes and goes. If you've been through revolutions and you've been internally displaced, what remains are the true, the true things. And those are your family, the friendships. Does a story come to mind that kind of paints that sort of resilience for you and the importance of family relationships? You know, at the time, in 1998, the ruble collapsed, right? There was an economic mm -hmm. crisis in Russia. And prices just shot up. Just like right now, I suppose, uh, happening in Russia, but really, really bad price of food. And I remember Western correspondents were writing about that, you know, how horrible it is. And the reaction of some Russians being interviewed was, well, you know, yeah, it's really bad. We'll get over it. You know, we've been <laughs> worse than that. We'll get over it. Wow. The It's just the mentality is different. Can I ask you to regale us with a similar story from your time at the Vatican? Can you paint a picture for us what it was like to be there? 
<laughs> well, it's opaque in a way, but I say this positively, but there were, when I was there, there were, I had a few colleagues accredited from their countries to the Holy See who had also been ambassadors to Russia. And there were three or four of us at the same time. And, and we used to compare notes and we found some points in common. We, we said that, you know, with a broad smile, but still there were points in common between administrations, if you want, governments who operated behind walls, you know, the, <laughs> the Kremlin and the, and the Leonine walls. It's a lot better now under Pope Francis in terms of transparency and in mm-hmm. terms of access to information in a way. Mm-hmm. The importance of networks, the importance of of trust, the importance of discernment in communications is very, very important. To be a mediator, you have to be trusted by the protagonists. You have to have a track record for that. You have to have neutrality in terms of your interests. Mm-hmm. And these are the assets that the Holy See brings. And it really seems that the Pope is working on this too, right? I mean, when he's looking towards how he wants to relate to the patriarch, to President Zelensky, to President Putin, it's really all about relationship and trying to foster that trust, that discernment that you speak about. I wonder if maybe just in closing, you would notionally, were you to be advising the Pope at this time, what would you be saying to Pope Francis about how he would proceed or how you recommend he proceed? <laughs> I wouldn't presume to make recommendations to the Pope, <laughs> but the most important lever is the person's heart. And what the Pope brings is that the interests of the Holy See are not state interests. They're not security, geostrategy, or, or the position of a state in the world security order. They're the salvation of people, they're human beings. And I think to get through to someone like President Putin, who wants to leave a legacy of recreating the Russian empire, there must be a way of telling him, look, you're all powerful. You want to leave a great legacy. Only you having all these levers at your disposal can choose how to use them for the benefit of people you'll be remembered for that so you know withdraw retire but think of the fact that you can do it and thank you thank you very much inside the vatican is a production of america media this week's episode was produced by maggie van dorn and colleen dolly our executive producer is sebastian gomes Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kara Hanlon at the American Media Studios. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. Please also consider supporting our work on Inside the Vatican by purchasing a digital subscription to America Media. That's americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva, and at least this week, your host, also producer. We'll see you next week.